You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hi there, welcome to this week's podcast. So this week, further into the series of exploring treatment facility um, experiences by people in recovery, real life stuff. It's important that we talk about these things because I don't think anybody working in the field of eating disorders can hand on their heart say, eating disorder treatment is just fine, couldn't improve. I think most people know that there's huge problems in the field and we need to start talking about them. It's not necessarily about pointing the finger and blaming, although sometimes it's difficult not to do that, I will admit. Um, It's more about we have to learn, things have to change, we have to do better. The treatment field has to change radically, actually, because until it does so, it's not serving the people that it is set up and designed to serve. Um, And there's political aspects to this as well, but also there's a real big social aspect to this. We owe people with eating disorders more. We owe them a true path to recovery. We owe them freedom from their eating disorder if they are going out there and seeking treatment and trying to get it. So this week, we're going to hear from Sarah, I'm very thankful that she sent in this voice recording of her experience in a treatment facility. There's so many learning points in this. Um, So without further ado, we're just going to get on and listen to it. Here's Sarah. As an adult, struggling with recovery, I have been to several treatment facilities. The first facility that I went to was probably the most negative as far as the behaviors that I left with and taught me to integrate into my everyday life when I went home. At this facility in particular, it was out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the desert, and the way that the program worked was the patients were in charge of preparing, cooking, and plating the meals, which imagine my surprise that I love controlling the way that my food was prepared. I would always limit certain things, certain additions, toppings, things like salt, oil, out of my food to save calories. And so to go into this facility expecting to not have any control at all was very surprising. So what they would do is they would put you in groups of three to four with other patients and you'd have to sign up to prepare at least one meal and one snack a day and then the other patients and groups would sign up. Um, The worst part about this experience was it was very an understaffed facility and so A lot of times when preparing these meals, we would eliminate the scary toppings and not completely follow the recipes 100%, which really defeats the purpose 
but when you are going into treatment, especially initially, you're very still afraid of these things and not having that support in the beginning is not helpful at all. So what we would do is we would prepare, cook the meals, and then we would have to plate all of the patient's food. And it would be done by exchanges. And so we were required to count, weigh, and measure everything. So say the plate had chicken, rice, and veggies. We had to use a weigher and the chicken had to be a certain ounce. And if it went over even a half ounce, we would have to cut that half off of the piece of chicken. The starch would have to be measured out and you had to use a knife to basically flatten the top off so you weren't giving yourself like a heaping cup or half cup of something. At night, we would measure our cereal. We measured all of our liquids, so milk had to be a certain ounce. Um, It was all very calculated and my eating disorder really liked having that calculation and it made me feel really safe because I knew that if I had this exact amount I could make sure that I had 100% control over my intake. So when I left treatment, went home, I was weighing and counting everything, even fruit, vegetables, and this was something that I had never done before entering treatment. So my family probably thought I was neurotic because I had to weigh all of my meats, and I remember my first dinner at home we had hamburgers and I had to weigh my hamburger patty which is not normal eating at all and my mom bless her heart did not really know how to take these new behaviors that I had brought home with me Um, but it was not helpful at all to learn to eat in such a calculated way because you don't listen to your body you don't learn to listen to your body you're basically making it a science project in a math mathematical way to eat and um one thing that was really hard about this specific place was i remember so many days just feeling so hungry at night and now that I look back and I've been to several treatment centers I realize that this place did not feed me what I needed I didn't wasn't able to eat enough there wasn't enough on my meal plan 
and I have anorexia, so I needed to eat to gain weight, and they would lock the kitchen all day. They would only unlock it for us to go in and make our meals and eat, but the rest of the day it was locked, so you had no choice. Again, we were out in the middle of nowhere, stuck on this, um, stuck in this facility, and if you were hungry and you wanted to have an extra snack, you had no access to food. You had to completely rely on these professionals to tell you when to eat, what time to eat, how much to eat. I remember several nights, me and some of the other girls would still be hungry and we would sneak food into our pockets before we had to leave the kitchen. I remember one night sneaking several granola bars into my pocket and going back to my room and just laying in bed and eating because I was so hungry. And I know that if I would have gotten caught eating that food, I would have got reprimanded and I would have felt really shameful for giving into that hunger and eating beyond what was accepted by my dietitian. One sort of funny situation that kind of just tells you where the patient's mindset was um, near the end of treatment, me and some of my girlfriends at the facility, her, um, one of my friends there, her husband was coming to visit her and there was a Dairy Queen a couple miles into town and we had begged her to coax him to bring us blizzards from Dairy Queen. And mind you, we all have eating disorders. And to think about us wanting to have blizzards is actually a really great mental step. We wanted to have a treat. And we wanted to have a treat on Saturday, but with the meal plan... Dessert days were only on Tuesdays and Thursdays, so we had no say in the matter at all. So we coaxed her. She took down all of our orders, gave it to him, and he stuck us blizzards, ice cream um, from Dairy Queen onto the facility, and we ate those blizzards. We, we all went into the bathroom. And we ate the hell out of those blizzards, and they were the best thing ever. And we didn't feel guilt about it. It was our choice to eat something, you know, a treat, I guess. Um, and it just goes to show you that when you're in a facility like that, a lot of times you do not have the choice to eat intuitively. If you're feeling mental hunger, you don't have a choice most of the time to follow that mental hunger because you are basically told not to trust yourself, not to trust your needs and what your body wants. You basically surrender your own empowerment and give it to the dietitian, And a lot of times... 
they don't 100% know your body and only you know your body. Only you know if you've had enough or if you still need more. And to be in the middle of the desert and the only food source that you have is locked in a kitchen is really kind of scary and just kind of goes to show you that facilities don't always keep in mind that we are adults and at some point in our recovery we will choose to start eating because we want to eat more because we know we need to eat more and we need to have the choice to explore that beyond what we're told is part of a meal plan and part of a math problem. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing that account. Uh, all right, so there's a number of points in that, aren't there? A number of important points. I think that one of the startling ones and the theme that runs throughout is that in the treatment centre that Sarah is talking about, the people in there who were in that treatment centre with malnutrition and suffering from restrictive eating disorders were underfed. Um, underfed to the extent that they were hungry at night and hungry a lot of the time. Um, and the whole locking of the kitchen and making it seem like it's a, food is this forbidden thing. If you eat more than the meager amount that you've been given, that you're committing some kind of sin, something that's bad, something that um, should be judged. That's pretty much what an eating disorder already does, folks, isn't it? And by locking the kitchen at night, by, by increasing this negative perception around following hunger and actually being truthful about how hungry you are and wanting to eat. And even just that food is, you know, wanting to eat food isn't a bad thing. Like, that, why do, <laughs> let's, let's stop all of this. It's just a big fuss about nothing. So you wanted to eat more food. Like, you know, like there doesn't need to be judgment attached to that in any way, shape or form. And in doing so, treatment centres, this one in particular, for sure, but I hear these stories all the damn time, treatment centres are increasing and supporting and collaborating with eating disordered thoughts and perceptions. So how the hell can somebody recover from a restrictive eating disorder and get over those food judgments and the stories that their brain tells them about food? And glamorizing food and turning it into heightening it, turning it into this emotional thing, turning it into this good or bad, giving it so much power. How can that be reduced when a treatment facility does exactly the same thing, only in a more systemized way? That like, answer me that question because I don't see it happening. <laughs> um, the whole sort of no access to food thing. For a brain that perceives that food is scarce, which is what happens when we have a restrictive eating disorder, our brains perceive that food is scarce because we're making it scarce, we're not eating it enough. So it being in a treatment centre, a facility that doesn't allow unrestricted access to food only, it, um, only makes that, it, at the very best, it, it doesn't help it. At the very worst, it increases, it really increases the problem here. 
a brain is never going to learn that food is not scarce if it's still being um, treated in an environment where food is scarce. A brain's not going to learn that it can relax around food and it doesn't actually have to stuff so much in all the time whenever it gets access to food if access is there the whole time. And this is one of the fundamental things that treatment centers still don't understand is that we binge because our brains perceive food to be scarce. And you don't make that any better by preventing access to food. Binges happen because of restriction. It's not some big psychological like hoo-ha for those of us who have restricted eating disorders. There's nothing complicated in there. It's not complex. It's very simple biology. If the brain thinks that food is scarce, via restriction, via energy deficit, via a combination of the two, whatever, then quite naturally and quite intelligently, our biology tells us we need to eat as much as possible when food is available, aka we binge. It's not a big deal. It's so pretty simply get out of energy deficit and stop restriction long term. So thank you again, Sarah, for sharing that story. And I hope that all people who go to treatment centers in the, <laughs> I hope that one day we reach it where treatment centers do not shame people about their hunger. Because I think until we can get there, people will continue to not recover from eating disorders, despite the fact that they're trying their very best and despite the fact that they are willingly going to treatment. If you have a story to share, email me. You can do what Sarah did here, and that's actually she recorded a voice recording and sent it in to me. That's so helpful. And pretty easy to do as well. And you can email that to info at tabithaferrar.com. That's I-N-F-O at T-A-B-I-T-H-A-F-A-R-R-A-R dot com. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Cheers. Cheerio.